tell you what you're listening to welcome to father simon says on relevant radio with father richard simon i'm here to answer your questions have a question give us a call 1-888-914-9149 there's any question you may have about the lord the faith and the church that's 1-888-914-9149 this is in fact a radio show called father simon says on relevant radio well hello Christmas is coming, and I don't know about the goose getting fat, but I'm not losing any weight. So let's pray in the name of the Father, the Son. Of, that's an old song. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful and kindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your spirit. They shall be created, and you shall renew the face of the earth. Lord, you taught the hearts of the nations by the light of the Holy Spirit. Grant us by that same spirit to have right judgment in all things and evermore to rejoice in his comfort through Christ our Lord. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women. Blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. St. Michael, the archangel, defend us in battle. Be our defense against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. All right, let's open the big book on the coffee table, the Bible. You know, I suppose nobody actually knows that old song anymore. Christmas is coming, the goose is getting fat. Oh, you know it? Oh, the voice man just yes, said he knows it. Great, there's a great version. Are you, um, are you live? Are you talking I'm to... I'm live, yeah. This, good. This is, be good. This be, is for yes, the people. Yes, be live. Yes. Yes. <laughs> this yes. is for the people. Uh, yes. So there's a great rendition uh, with the Muppets and John Denver. Maybe I'll find that in playback. Oh. Oh, all right. Yes, that's yes. Uh, yes. I, I I had forgotten about that. But yes. The, uh, yes. So, well, but as you can tell, the, the show is already off the rails here, but let's go to the readings where we're they're interesting well i always say that but they are um this is the story of the birth of samuel and uh this story is you gotta read it first samuel uh chapter one and following uh it's, it's an amazing story and and I would encourage you to actually cheat and <laughs> read it from the Bible, the whole thing. Uh, there were 12 judges uh, who are mentioned, the judges of Israel. There were actually more, but in the book of Judges, there are 12 leaders who are said to judge Israel. And and the word is interesting. Uh, the, the word judge, it doesn't really mean what we mean by judge. It means... That's kind of a, a military leader or hero or or a kind of governor. Let me let me look precisely uh, here. Okay, okay. Oh, I should make that the word of the day. Uh, trust me on this. I'll make. I'll make. Well, no, I'll just do it now. All right. Um, let's see. Uh, okay. No, that's not. That's not what I'm looking for. Ah, it'll be the word of the day. But the judges were were actually military leaders. They weren't what we think of as judges, guys who are long black robes, sit behind a bench and say guilty or not guilty. Well, <clears throat> there are 12 judges in the book of Judges, and they uh, uh, end with with the last one being Samson. Uh, and, well, uh, 
there was kind of a leadership uh, vacuum after after the the uh, uh, death of, of Samson and apparently a fellow named Eli who was a, a priest who was the priest at Shiloh stepped in and uh, he wasn't that good a guy uh, so uh, he didn't discipline his sons but that's for another day. Now, people would go up to Shiloh, where the Ark was kept, and it was really the spot of the, the place of the, the very first temple in Israel. And uh, um, uh, a woman named Hannah, which means a gift, was went with her husband Elkanah, and Elkanah was a Levite. Uh, we we read in, um, I think, the Book of Chronicles, and so. Uh, the, they were a priestly family, essentially. So, well, they went up, and Elkanah had two wives, Penina and Hannah. And Penina had children; Hannah did not. But Elkanah favored Hannah. That was his, this was a time when polygamy was permitted, um, and so Penina was always lording it over Hannah because Penina had children and Hannah didn't, or Hannah, as we might say in Chicago English. So. Um, they would go on pilgrimage to, to Shiloh, and uh, one one day, Hannah, and this is interesting, she's in the sanctuary, and she's praying for a child in tears, and she is is uh, praying quietly. She's mumbling to herself. And Eli, the priest, who was the the priest at, at, at Shiloh, uh, uh, thought she was drunk and says, get out of here. You shouldn't be drunk in the sanctuary of the Lord. And she says, oh, Lord, I'm not drunk. I'm just grieving. This to me is interesting because uh, there are certain cultures and people who think that unless prayer is audible, it doesn't it doesn't take. So the fact that Hannah was praying silently was um, made made Eli wonder what she was up to. So, well, Eli prophesies really and says, "Well, you're going to have a child. Don't worry." Uh, so, well, then when the child is weaned. Uh, in other words, when this kid's about two and a half, three years old, she brought him to the temple at Shiloh and gave him to the Lord. I mean, to us, that would be just uh, unthinkable. But I think it's a very interesting thing. She vowed that if she would grant a child, she'd, she'd dedicate him to God uh, uh, as a Nazarite. In other words, he would take a vow. Uh, not to cut his hair or to drink strong drink, that sort of thing. Well, um, she f fulfilled her vow. She brought the child to the Lord, and uh, he served in the temple at Shiloh uh, as as a servant. And uh, uh, the rest of the story, you know, God calls him, and and uh, he hears his name being called out, and he runs into the 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 Eli's quarters, and he says, "Did you call me, sir?" And he said, no, it happened again. He said, the third time, he says, uh, say, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. And the Lord speaks to Samuel, uh, and he says, I am going to destroy the house of Eli for the sins of, of, of the sons of Eli. But that's another story for another day. So this is, this is uh, the story of, of 
Hannah, that we encounter here in, in, in the first reading. In those days, Hannah brought Samuel with her, along with a three-year-old bull, an ephah of flour, and a skin of wine. Ephah was a certain measure. And presented him at the temple of the Lord. The boy's father sacrificed the young bull. Hannah, his mother, approached Eli and said, Pardon, my Lord, I am the woman who stood near you here praying to the Lord. I prayed for this child. The Lord granted my request. Now, in turn, I give him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he shall be dedicated to the Lord. And she left Samuel there. Can you imagine leaving this little three-year-old kid with perfect strangers? But this this was, you know, we think of our children as ours, and they aren't. Um, a, a friend of mine, a, a, an author, um, well, I might as well mention Tom McGrath. He wrote a wonderful book on the raising of children. He is himself a father. And he said the two primary duties of a parent are to say welcome and goodbye. You know, and we don't think of that. We somehow think that our children belong to us. And, and they don't. They belong to the Lord. And, you know, we, we hope for a relationship with them all our life. But we receive and we let go. And that's sometimes very hard to do. Uh, and I remember uh, talking to a, a a Puerto Rican friend of mine who, this was many years ago, was about to marry a, a young woman, and uh, <clears throat> um, he just didn't know if he could go through with it because his mother was terribly dependent on him. Father had left when he was a kid, and, and he just said, I, I don't know. And I, I said, remember what the scripture says. A man leaves his father and mother and clings to his wife, the two become one flesh. And I said, that's Bible. And he was, of course, devout and, and a believer. And he looked at me and he said, I didn't realize that. You know, that, that I think this is important for us. Um, uh, uh, children should honor their father and mother, but those who are their father and mother have to realize that children are on loan to us. They're not given to us. They're on loan to us in a certain sense. And Hannah really understood that. And because she was willing to let go of this child, she she did great service to to the people of God. Now Hannah, when she uh, uh, when she conceived, uh, let's see, um, she she sings this great song. I think it's when she conceived. Let me see. Um, it was a it was when 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 Samuel was born uh and um uh, the name Samuel Shmuel Shmuel in 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 Hebrew it can be interpreted the lord has heard or the lord hears or uh i've asked the lord there are different possible translations for it but it's about asking and receiving so she she prayed and said my heart rejoiced in the lord my strength is exalted in the in in the lord I smile at my enemies. The Lord kills and makes alive the pillars of the earth. It's very much like the Magnificat. And I've heard people say, well, therefore, the Magnificat is just a lift from the Old Testament. The Blessed Mother didn't really say it. I, that's crazy. That that our Blessed Mother very well may have recapitulated the prayer of Hannah because she was speaking in the Holy Spirit, the Blessed Mother was, and... Um, she was a well-educated young Jewish girl who would have known the scriptures uh, um, and would have known the prayer of Hannah, and uh, she repeated it. That's my suspicion. So, beautiful thing. Well, let's look at the gospel here. Um, the the gospel uh, in which 
Luke 1, 46, Mary said, My soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he has looked on his lowly servant. Now, the word soul here is psyche, and the word spirit is pneuma. I have I have struggled over this. Uh, we read in I think oh it's in Thessalonians. Uh, let me look it up. Body, soul. It's funny. It's in night prayer <laughs> at least weekly, um, and I think yes. The the voice in my head knows it. What's the actual textual reference though? There you go. That's something we Catholics are not as nearly as good. First Thessalonians five twenty three. Um, May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless. You know, I have I have pondered and pondered uh, the difference between soul and spirit. And they're different words in Greek. Body, uh, here, let me see which word is body. I think it's soma that they would use here. Um, uh, let me see. Yeah, soma. Uh, that the... the the spirit is pneuma, the psyche or the soul is psyche, from which we get psychology, that sort of thing, psychic, all that, and soma, which is the common word for body. Um, the, 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 uh, so what's the difference between spirit and soul? And I, this is what I think, <clears throat> and I could, I could definitely be wrong, so take it with a grain of salt. I am an immortal spirit who has an immortal soul and a mortal body. Huh? Yeah, I, my spirit, my, my being, my breathing, my, the word spirit means breath, that which is living. The living part of me manifests itself in an immortal soul, an immortal psyche, and a very mortal body. And uh, this, this, uh, manifestation of me, my body, really is me. But in in the text today, what we read is my psyche, my soul. Those the 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 the, the area of me which is uh, sort of the bridge between that which is spiritual and that which is material. That 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 uh, awareness that includes, I I suspect my my perceptions, my memories, my emotions, all that sort of thing. Um, I don't even know about memories. Memories may be purely the body, physical. But this this part of me that is that, that perceives, I would say, is my soul. Well, why are you talking about this? Well, again, be patient. I'll get there. My soul, my psyche, proclaims the greatness of the Lord. And my spirit... The innermost me, the me who am, in imitation of God in a certain sense, rejoices in God my Savior. Now, I heard a wonderful teaching years ago about this, that in, your, in you, you have a magnifying glass. The word here is megalune, uh, proclaims the greatness. No, it's magnify. The word, the word in Latin is magnify. It means, well, in the, uh, the term from the Simpsons, to embiggen. You have a magnifying glass in your psyche. You can either magnify the problem, which is what I do, or you can magnify the Lord. And if you make the problem bigger than the Lord, well, that's your business. 
But if you realize the Lord is greater than the problem, you know what's going to happen? Your spirit, your, your full self, your true self is going to rejoice. And this is exactly what the Blessed Mother does. Now, let's think about this. You and I know the truth, that our Blessed Mother was innocent, uh, immaculately conceived, and remained uh, faithful to her calling all her life. But she was in trouble. She was expecting a child and was not married. And it's interesting, in the scriptures, you never see her defending herself or saying, let me explain. She lets the Lord do the explaining. But she is told by the angel, why don't you go visit your cousin Elizabeth, who is with child? And she obeys, and she goes down to the hill country of Judah. Uh, and um, uh, when she sees Elizabeth, she says, my soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord. She, she says, in essence, the prayer of Hannah. So that's exactly what she's doing. Uh, he's shown the strength of his arms. He's cast down the mighty from their thrones. He's scattered the proud. He's filled the hungry. She's remembering all of the great things that the Lord has done for Israel. She's magnifying the Lord. Instead of saying, oh, Elizabeth, I got troubles. You wouldn't believe. I saw this angel, and now I... I none of that. She says, my... The Lord, the Lord has remembered the promise he made to our fathers, to Abram and his children forever. All she thought about was the greatness of God and his faithfulness to Israel. Um, and so she magnified the Lord and her spirit rejoiced in God. So I think this is a very important thing. We read in Philippians, the fourth chapter, make your petitions known to God with thanksgiving. When I'm really a wreck, what I do is I go to prayer and I will write down four or five things that I thought were a disaster, no way out. And God took care of them. Um, that time that in the parish, we were, we had this bill we couldn't pay. And then the check came in. Thank you, Lord. That thing on my neck, it was, I was doomed. It was nothing. Thank you, Lord. Well, I've got problems though. Well, forget the problems for a little bit. Say thank you. Think of four or five things you're grateful to the Lord for. And great, you'll realize grace has brought you safe this far and grace will lead you home. Um, magnify the Lord. It's just a spiritual exercise. If you learn how to magnify the Lord by remembering his history, even with you, well, oh, lots of bad things have happened to me. Yeah, lots of good things have happened too. Thank God for the good things. First, make your petitions known to God with thanksgiving. If you thank him for things first, as in Philippians, the fourth chapter, if you thank him for things first, you will realize that he has done great things and he will not stop doing great things. You can trust him. So I just think that that's an important thing that uh, uh, God has a way. And uh, if you allow him to do his perfect will in your life, well, you'll have reason to rejoice. All right, we're going to go to a break. We'll come back with uh, uh, the the mass hysteria du jour and uh, uh, we'll open the phones at 888-914-9149. 888-914-9149. We'll be right back. The 
The Relevant Radio Studio Line is sponsored by Catholic Order of Foresters. Information about employment opportunities and their flexible premium life insurance plans available at relevantradio.com slash forester. Oi. <laughs> For this, we gave up Gregorian chant. <sighs> Dogs and cats living together. Mass hysteria. Oh, dear. It's Christmas time. And when I was a child and the woolly mail, I was, I should tell you the story of when I got my first big break in show business. Um, I was not my first grade teacher's favorite student. And it's rare that I actually got to go out to recess instead of stand in a corner with a dunce head. I'm not kidding you. I was, I, well, I won't go there. But, um, one of my rare recesses outside, at least as I remember it, was uh, I was having a wonderful time for the glorious 15 minutes of freedom. And uh, an, one of, an older kid, you know, big kid, second or third grade, came up and said, Sister wants to see you. And I thought, oh, well, it was too good to be true. <laughs> and I walked in, and there's a woman taking uh, 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 measurements for costumes. And I was to have a part in the Christmas play. And it didn't occur to me then, but I was the donkey. <laughs> and uh, uh, I, I, I had to schlep Mary Sue, last name anonymous, across the stage <laughs> on my back. And uh, uh, I didn't realize it, but all of the other little children realized that it was... It was sarcasm on the first grade teacher's part. But at any rate, I don't know why I'm sharing that with you. I don't know. I'm not sure. But uh, I was the donkey. Well, moving along, oh, I smiled right through my part. <laughs> the uh, It caused Monsignor O'Brien to laugh, who was never known to actually laugh uh, by, <laughs> by anyone else. All right, move, moving along here. You used to have the Christmas concert. And the, 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 the children's play. And all these down in the school hall. Now, of course, you have them after communion in the church. <clears throat> Again, I, I just think we have to return to the concept that Mass is a liturgy. A liturgy is absolutely structured. This is, this is the covenant. Uh, this is the sacrifice which ratifies the covenant. That's what Mass is. And I think it very inappropriate in the old mass as well as in the new mass to have entertainment. You, to have a beautiful, beautiful music is one thing. To have cute, <laughs> cute is quite different than beautiful. You know, if someone calls you a raving beauty, that's fine. But if someone calls you a raving cutie, well, what's that mean? Cute has no place at mass. Beautiful does. Now, I, I will never forget, and I've shared this with you before, when I was at a glorious uh, traditional Mass, solemn high Mass, uh, on All Souls Day, and there was a, a, a uh, Mozart's Requiem was played. And Mozart's Requiem is, is a wonder of, of our civilization. But 
After communion, the benevolent association that had paid for the orchestra came up with a huge novelty check. And I thought, this is, this is not appropriate to either the traditional Latin Mass or the Novus Ordo. Um, and, of course, all of the aficionados of Mozart uh, got up and left um, after the Holy Holy because Mozart didn't write the rest. Why should they stay if it wasn't Mozart? Well, they could have stayed because it was Jesus. But you see this idea of entertainment. Again, I, I'd like to say I'm not favoring one form over the other, though I, I do think that the Novus Ordo, uh, the way we have understood it, uh, has so many opportunities for spontaneity that it becomes the venue for Father's artistic celebration of his own shtick, uh, or it becomes uh, an opportunity for choir directors to show just how glorious they are. And it's, 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 both are inappropriate. And when we decide we're going to have the third grade come up and sing a special song, they stand on the sanctuary steps facing the congregation and they sing uh, It's a Small World After All or something like that or that glorious song we just heard. That's not appropriate to Mass. It just isn't. It's wrong. I'm sorry. Cute has no place in Mass. Beautiful does. Cute doesn't. All right. <laughs> Boy, I probably just insulted everybody. But hey, it's what I do. It's Christmas. All right, let's move on to letters. All right. Now, I've got a letter here from from Patrick. Um, I was raised in a Catholic home, attended Catholic school through the seventh grade. I didn't learn much about the faith. Um, did I read this letter all? all? Oh, no, I, uh, I have been trying to learn more with desire to do God's will and live the best Catholic life. Uh, the more I learn, the more I, questions I have. That's good. I have, I, I'm confused as to why God bothered to make us. I think I did talk about this, but I'll talk about it uh, again. I think the most direct answer in the catechism is to know and love God. If God is love, he certainly didn't need to create some imperfect beings to love. He, he then had to send part of himself to suffer. Well, I don't know that we can look at Jesus as part of himself. Let us go back to, to lesson one. Uh, St. John Paul the Great said that God is the true and perfect family, that your family and my family are like a family, to which I always say I, I think that may be true on a good day, but um, families are tough. But you know in your family that you want to have real union with the people you love, but your own sinfulness and their sinfulness, especially their sinfulness, makes it very hard to be truly perfectly united with them. However, God is perfect, and he, can, he does achieve perfect oneness with his beloved Son, and that perfect oneness is God. Uh, uh, and, and, and the love between father and son is so perfect that it is the Holy Spirit. So God is this relationship. The thing about love, though, you know, we believe that the oneness of God is a oneness not of solitude, which the other monotheistic religions believe that God is alone. No, it's, it's, it's a relationship of solidarity. That's why we that that's the bedrock of our faith. Jesus taught God is love. And so it's reasonable to think, who's God going to love? Uh, well, he's going to love us. Well, you're right in this, Patrick, that if God was dependent for his existence on his creations, if 
if he is constitutively love, sacrificial love, and the only people he has to sacrifice for are human beings, well then, he would be dependent on us for his existence, and he wouldn't be God. So his the perfection of his love exists within himself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. However, love overflows. Love always wants more to love, and thus he created us. And this is the amazing thing about our God. Our God is a humble God, that, that he humbles himself to invite us into that relationship. I said the other day, if you ask me what the, in, in 10 minutes, I could tell you in 10 seconds what the basic gospel is, that true love created the universe. Love created the universe. Love is the creator of all things, and the sustainer of all things. And we human beings, we rejected love. And so he sent his heart, his very son, into the world to reiterate his offer in a most dramatic and graphic way. And, you know, he doesn't need us, but love doesn't need. You know, when I think of love, I think of my own emotional needs. Perfect love, God's perfect love, sacrificial love, agape. It doesn't need so that's simply not an issue. I hope that helps a little uh, uh, with your question and understanding it. Uh, that wonderful song, What Wondrous Love Is This? Now, <laughs> this is from Rose. And uh, we received a large silicon rosary that is meant for a baby to chew on or slash play with. The givers had the rosary blessed before they gave it to us. Is it okay to let my baby chew on it and play with it and throw it on the floor? Yes, Rose, it is. That's fine. That was its purpose. And something is blessed for a purpose. So don't worry, you're not insulting God by letting that child chew on a rosary that was designed for him to chew on. In fact is, I imagine that God and the guardian angels, and I suspect our Blessed Mother, really enjoy when he has a good time with it. So go for broke. Let him let him chew on the rosary. All right. This is from someone anonymous. Was it? There's actually what, a company that? called Choose Life, C-H-E-W-S, that makes chewable religious toys for children. <laughs> You're kidding. No, I'm serious. Oh I, I've, I've seen it before. The chewable, <laughs> That's chewable rosary, chewable divine mercy. Chewable image. rosaries. That's right. Choose Life. Oh, oh, I remember my little godsons that, that when they would sit on my lap or, or see me, they would grab my little plastic Roman collar and chew on it. So, yes, I, 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 I lost a lot of Roman collars to, to baby, teething babies. So, um, yeah, the Lord, the Lord uh, if I were to stomp on it and throw it on the floor and chew something holy, then God might take some umbrage at it, but not a baby. All right, that's funny. All right, uh, this is anonymous. Why is it that Jewish heritage is passed through the mother? Is this a tradition or is there a scriptural basis for it? You know, I, I don't know of any scriptural basis for it, but it is the strong tradition of Judaism, and it makes perfect sense. I, I don't want to be uh, flippant, but no one ever says, who's your mama? I mean, it is clear that that uh, um, that home and mother are synonymous. People rarely say home and father. And uh, the, the role in Israel was, was uh, passed down through the father. For instance, uh, the Levitical, uh, uh, <clears throat> 
the Levitical dimension, uh, but or, or priesthood or, or or kingship, but belonging to the nation was passed down through the mother, which makes great sense. So I don't know of any scriptural basis for it, but it is definitely uh, a strong Jewish tradition. At the time of Christ, it might not have been so much, but it certainly is now. And I, I don't know if that's in Talmud or not. All right, we are going to go to a break, and um, we will come back with a word of the day. Uh, and, um, well, you can call in. 888 9149 The Relevant Radio Studio Line is sponsored by Catholic Order of Foresters. Information about employment opportunities and their flexible premium life insurance plans available at relevantradio.com slash forester. Sleigh bells ring, are you listening? In the lane, snow is glistening. No no snow here. I'm not going to comment one way or the other. All right, let's go to the word of the day. As I promised, the word of the day is judge. And when we think of judge, we think of uh, to pass sentence. And that's what the word meant in Hebrew. The word is shofet. Uh, it, 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 means, it, it means, well, on surface, what we mean by judgment. However, uh, um, I think that it, it means a little more. It means also to govern. Um, the, the, um, uh, oh, by the way, uh, the, the number is 888-914-9149, 888-914-9149. And I think, think uh, well, let's get back to the word of the day. I think very, very tellingly, um, there is a, um, uh, um, a verse in the scripture, which talks about, uh, Deborah, uh, in Judges 4.4. 4. Now, Deborah, uh, his wife, was a prophetess, uh, the wife of Lapidoth, and she used to judge Israel. Uh, um, let me get, let me, uh, let me go back to the English here instead of struggling with Hebrew. Uh, she would sit under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim, where the judgment, where the Israelites would go up to her for judgment. What does that mean? It means. Uh, they would go up to ask for governance. Government is a good thing. We Americans don't like government. But, you know, when you hear she sat under the palm of Deborah judging Israel, what, what does that mean? Oh, that, 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 that shade of makeup just does not work for her. That, that, that's what we think of as judgment. No, you go to someone, and I'd like a judgment on this. What is the right thing to do? It is to seek, uh, to seek, uh, um, uh, a judgment to seek counsel on what the right thing to do is. Uh, so this idea of the book of Judges, these were these were um, governors of Israel. The word can also mean to govern. So y- you tell people who come to ask what's right and what's wrong. Uh, um, it's not something that you seek. It's something that God gives. So 
the word judge, when you hear judge, uh, the scripture says elsewhere, by the way, do you not know? Let me look this up. I should look this up. It just occurred to me. I do not know that you will judge the angels. Okay. This is, this is in the Bible, believe it or not. First Corinthians 6, 3. Um, St. Paul says, uh, um, if any of you have a grievance against another, how dare you go to law before the unrighteous instead of before the saints? Don't you know that the saints, in other words, the holy ones, us, saints with a capital S or a small S, will judge the world? And if you are to judge the world, are you not competent to judge trivial cases? Do you not know that we will judge angels? I'm going to judge an angel? That's crazy. What is an angel? You know, I thought angels were sinless. Well, it isn't. It isn't. Uh, uh, this is the Hebrew sense of judgment, that the angels will come to us for counsel. And this is, I think, one of the reasons that the devil left heaven or was thrown out, because he's not going to ask any human vermin, as C.S. Lewis has the devil call us. Uh, he's not going to ask the human vermin for their 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 advice. But this is the idea of judgment, to to give advice when asked for it. All right, 888-914-9149. Let's go to phone calls. Buddy the Elf, what's your favorite color? Jim from Skokie. Is this the Jim that I know? Uh, yes, it is, Father. Oh, how, how are you? you doing, Jim? I'm, I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. You're a little chilly today, but good. Well, what can I do for you? I had a question on the first reading today, which is from the first book of Samuel, first chapter, 24th uh, verse and on. It mentions that uh, they brought a, a, a three-year-old bull and an ephah, a flower, yep. E-P-H-A-H. Well, I wonder what an yep. ephah is. It's about a bushel. It's 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 almost equivalent to a bushel. Uh, let's see here. Uh, let me let me click the right button, and I'll tell you what an ephah is. But it's about it's about a bushel. It's uh, thirty-five liters. There you go. A bushel. <laughs> it's a it's a lot of it's a lot of flour, especially if you're not wealthy. And a skin of wine. Wine skins were huge. I mean, I've seen wine skins in Spain that were the size of it was a whole cow basically. So. Uh, it was a lot of wine and a good amount of flour. Does that answer your question? It does indeed. A very merry and blessed Christmas to you, Father. Merry and merry, merry Christmas and a happy new year. Give my love to the people back in beautiful downtown Skokie. <laughs> it's, Will uh, good. All right. God bless. Thanks. Good to talk to you, Jim. Who have we got now, dear voice in my head? Ed from Modesto, California. Ed, what can I do for you? Father, a quick question. Uh, so if Jesus uh, was preaching Aramaic and he also spoke Hebrew, why wasn't the New Testament then written in Aramaic, but rather in Greek language? And then yes, it was the translated New, to yes. Probably because a large part of the population of the ancient world, well, not just the ancient world, but of the Holy Land, spoke Greek. There was the Decapolis, which was Greek-speaking uh, Greek towns, and there were uh, um, the Syrians spoke Greek. They didn't speak Aramaic. The Syrian Greeks spoke uh, uh, Aramaic, or rather Greek. And so there were a lot of Greek speakers in the Holy Land. And Jesus 
preached in the Decapolis as well as in the uh, Jewish parts of, of, of the Holy Land. So Jesus probably also spoke some Greek. But very interestingly, it was very common for the disciples of a rabbi to write down the rabbi's sayings. And uh, uh, the people who spoke Greek would want to know what he said. And so these, this is very interesting. I got this from, um, I think his name was uh, Dr. Peters uh, of NYU. Um, who I, I don't know what his religious life is like, but he's written some very interesting things. And he makes the point that these things could quite possibly have been written down, not after the life of Jesus, but during the life of Jesus for the benefit of Greek-speaking residents of the Holy Land. So the writing process started in Greek and continued in Greek. And then they decided to translate it into Aramaic for points east. Does that help? Yeah, it does. So, uh, so Aramaic language was not the lingua franca, or was it Greek? It was the Jordan Valley was pretty much the dividing line. There was Greek spoken all the way into India because of Alexander the Great's conquests. However, Aramaic was more commonly the lingua franca east of the Jordan and Greek the lingua franca west of the Jordan, the common language. So the Holy Land was the place where they met. So uh, the the 10 cities would have spoken Greek. So northern northern the northern part of the Holy Land was Greek-speaking. The southern part would have been Greek and Aramaic-speaking. Country people probably spoke Aramaic. City people probably were quite comfortable in Greek. The, the Roman soldiers didn't speak Latin generally. They spoke Greek. <laughs> Things Greek was the common language west of the Jordan, and it also was useful east of the Jordan, whereas west of the Jordan, nobody spoke Aramaic. Uh, uh, that would have been very rare, except, of course, for for Jewish people uh, in their homes, or Samaritans. I think Samaritans also spoke Aramaic. And there was a Samaritan diaspora. There were maybe a million, two million Samaritans living outside the Holy Land, according to some estimates. So does that help? Yeah, that makes total sense. Father, any book you can recommend me about this subject? Any book? Oh, gosh. Oh, gosh. Uh, there's an article any in source? Biblical Archaeology. Biblical Archaeological Review has an article, Why Why St. Paul Went West. And again, I would recommend, uh, I think, um, oh, come on, Brain, The Rise of Christianity by Dr. Rodney Stark is very good on the earliest, uh, the Jewishness, uh, the Semiticness of the early church. Those would be good books. Uh, so uh, those are the two things I have to recommend. Uh, the article in, in uh, Biblical Archaeological Review a few years ago, Why Paul Went West. And, uh, uh, and of course, there's uh, 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 The Search for the Historical Jesus and the Historical Muhammad by uh, Dr. Peters of NYU. That's also good. So I hope that helps. Yes, Father, that makes total sense. Thank you so much. Now, are you an Aramaic speaker yourself? Uh, Father, so I am, I'm from Iraq. Uh, do you know in Iraq, mm -hmm. they say people, they're Chaldeans, Assyrians. Yes, But I yes. believe, Father, I, I believe we speak the Syriac language because there's no such thing yes. called Chaldean language or Assyrian yes. language. We are all Syriac-spoken people, but people don't get yes. that. Yes, yes. So they give, yeah. they get mad at me when I tell them that we are Syriac-spoken people and Syriac is a language that was borrowing from the Aramaic language. This yeah, it, yeah, it's slightly different, but it's 
it's it I, I suspect it will be quite understandable to Jesus and our Blessed Mother so well yeah I I, I know quite a few uh, Assyrians and and, and uh, Chaldeans and delightful people very faithful to the Lord well let me say idu brocha idu brocha did I just say it right yes <laughs> Vasima, Vasima. All right, thanks. Now you just heard all the Aramaic slash Syriac that I know. Who have we got now, dear voice in my head? Jim from Gulf, California. What can I do for you, Jim? Well, Father, thanks for taking the call. I've got a question on the second week of Advent in Monday. The lectionary was taken from chapter 35 of Isaiah, verses mm-hmm. 1 through 10, verses 1 through 10, and down around the ninth verse, there's a phrase I can't find in any other version of any Bible except the New American Bible, and the phrase is this, talking about the highway, it is for those with a journey to make. Huh. I can't find uh, give me the text again. It's verse 9 uh, of, of Isaiah chapter 35. 35, 9, um... Okay, let no me pull it up here no and see what it says in Hebrew. It. Yes, right. no line will be there. No vicious beast will go. Okay, come on. Oh, of course, my computer has decided to be slow on this. Oh, dear. It's so funny. My computer just doesn't really cooperate with me. Okay. Ah, here it is. There we go. Okay. It says, now, what is the translation we used? I'm using the New American Bible that they gave me in RCIA. Mm-hmm. Okay, and what? how do they translate it? So no line will be there, no beast of prey go up to meet upon it. It is for those with a journey to make, and on it the redeemed will walk. The phrase that I'm interested in is this one. It is for yeah. those with a journey to make. That's a powerful statement, but I can't yes. find that statement in any other translation. Well, the 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 uh, I think they're translating this word as a journey to make uh, Allah. Uh, uh, it's it's meaning to go up to ascend to climb, and the implication of it is for those who are going up to the temple in Jerusalem. That was they called to make okay. Aliyah is to go back to the Holy Land. So they're stretching it, but I think that's that's the verb they're stretching Allah. Not not related to the Arabic word for God. Uh, so I, I think that that's what's going on here. Uh, let me, let me, let me look at it from the beginning. Uh, no lion shall be there, nor any ravenous beast, uh, uh, um, shall go up on it, uh, and not, there shall not be found there, uh, but, uh, the redeemed will walk there, but that, that, um, that uh, that idea of Yalenu, I think they're extrapolating from that verb, uh, um, the idea of going up, that no lion will get in the way of the journey. So those with a journey to make, that's, I think that's the, the word they're translating or, or um, extrapolating from. Does that help? It does. Thank you so much. Have a wonderful blessing. Well, you're trip. welcome. You're welcome. Take what I say with a grain of salt, please. So, um, do oh, we, uh, <laughs> all right. God bless. Thanks. All right. We, we, uh, there were no calls, huh? Well, I can go back to a letter. My goodness. Let me, let me go back to a letter. Uh, one more letter. This is, um, 
This is a delightful letter from from Eva, our friendly neighborhood evangelical. Uh, the late great Ann Landers used to say, "Refusing to forgive someone is like letting a person you hate live rent-free in your head." Uh, we were talking about forgiveness, and I really think the absolute promise of forgiveness or opportunity for forgiveness uh, uh, in the Christian faith is, uh, well, it's the hardest thing of all about our faith because we love it when God forgives us. We're not so big on it when he forgives people we don't like. So as we approach Christmas, is there somebody you need to forgive and with whom you need to communicate? I can think of a couple in my own life. So um, at the very least, pray that God bless them. So, all right. Now, Drew is coming up and... um, uh, he will lead you in the Chaplet of the Divine Mercy, which is the, the largest prayer group in human history. So I, I, I really think it's a wonderful thing. So, so don't go anywhere. See, I said that right. I didn't say don't go nowhere. And I hear music in my head, which means I'm out of here. All right, we'll talk to you tomorrow. And um, I, 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 again, a little early, wishing you a wonderful Christmas. Mm-hmm.